Hey everyone, welcome to the most useful information podcast where me, Tim, uh, and a friend read the same book that the friend chose and then talk about it uh, for your enlightenment. Uh, today I'm here with M, and we together read Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, so here is M. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah. Um, how's it going? I'm doing all right, thanks. Enjoying a nice cold Sunday. It is. It's cold here too. Do you have snow? Not yet. Uh, yeah. Me either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we're gonna talk about Picnic at Hanging Rock. If you're unfamiliar, it's uh, a 1967 novel written by Australian novelist Joan Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay was born in 1896, and according to the introduction of Picnic at Hanging Rock, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock is her first novel that she published in 1967, so she was, I think, in her 70s, which is cool, uh, but then according to Wikipedia, she published a novel in the 1930s, so um, I don't know what to believe. Which seems to be a theme with this book as well, uh, <laughs> not knowing it. what to believe. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, the information I have about Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, but I'm curious why you picked it, Em, for us. Yeah. Uh, I first heard about this book uh, and read about it in uh, The Weird and the Eerie by Mark Fisher. Um, that's a slim little book of essays from 19 or 2016. Um, that's divided into two sections. The first section is about weird fiction and the second section is about eerie fiction. Um, and he concludes the book with a short essay about picnic at hanging rock. And he calls it a quintessential eerie novel. Um, so when I first read that in like 2016, the book had been in the back of my mind as something that I'd wanted to read. Um, and then during lockdown, I watched the 1975 Peter Weir movie with a good friend and then immediately watched the movie again the next day because I was just so taken by the atmosphere of the movie and the the mystery of it. Um, so I had, I'd seen the movie um, and recently over the summer was reading another Australian weird novel um, called All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde. Um, and just on that kick of weird Australian novels, um, I picked this up at Bookhaven, my favorite bookstore in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, and then took it to the beach with me and read it over a couple weeks. Um, really loved it. Nice. Um, I... I forgot to mention the movie in my uh, uh, comprehensive introduction to the book, but I first heard about the book because of the movie as well. And I first heard about the movie when uh, we were at Indiana University and Peter Weir actually came there. And so they at Indiana University, they have like a theater that has movies and they bring directors and actors or whatever. Um and I knew Peter Weir from The Truman Show. Um, uh, he, did, he directed The Truman Show as well? Yeah, he did. I also think he did Dead Poets Society. 
um, and Master and Commander, if you've seen that Russell Crowe. <laughs> I haven't seen that Russell Crowe movie. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, I, at IU, I used to some like you have an awkward amount of time between classes and i would go to and i don't know what the building was called but the building that had like a bowling alley and pinball machines um i think like student but, commons probably. okay yeah 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 on campus bowling on, alley. on campus yeah there's a bowling alley and they also had pinball machines and so oh, wow. if i had like an hour or two between classes i would go to that building and i would i'd play like family guy pinball for a little while but one time when i went there i was i was walking down the hall and i was like this guy looks familiar and kind of like more important than an average person walking down the the hall of the student commons and so then i i looked it up and i saw that peter weir was in was at bloomington in bloomington at iu and that I that he that was him who I saw in the hall, and then that this movie Picnic at Hanging Rock was playing, and the way it was written about was like this is a classic movie, and I was like I've never heard of this movie in my life. How could it be classic? I yeah. know what you think. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's how I first heard about Picnic at Hanging Rock was a weird encounter. I mean, barely an encounter, but I walked behind Peter Weir for a little bit uh, on my way to play Family Guy Pinball. That's wonderful. Do you think you were taking up his turn on Family Guy Pinball? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think he had the high score PW. um, Yeah. (laughs) In the... Yeah. um, Did you go to see the movie at the IU Cinema when it was playing there? No, I I didn't. But but I... um, I I kind of I filed it away kind of in my head is like I remembered the name and kind of like what it was about um and all, and so kind of like always intended to watch it and then I saw a movie years later called Innocence it's like a French kind of a weird French movie about girls at a boarding school and I don't remember anything, but in the first scene, like a new girl comes to this boarding school, but the way she's sent to the boarding school, she's like mailed in a coffin. And then all these little girls kind of like open this coffin and this girl gets out. <laughs> Anyways, it, it it was clearly inspired by Picnic at Hanging Rock. And so then again, it was just like another thing I encountered that uh, made me aware of it. And then yeah. I, I did, I did see the movie a year or two ago um, and I liked it. Um, so I was excited when you mentioned the book, uh, reading the book, but I have a question about if I remember right, Mark Fisher kind of defines the eerie as, um, something where there should be nothing or nothing where there should be something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I take that to be like, a an abandoned city is eerie because it's a city, but there should be people there. Right. right. Um, what what do you think picnic at hanging rock is there something where there should be nothing or is there nothing where there should be something and and what is there or not there yeah i think as i i've been thinking about this question um just to relate it like to my own understanding of like nothing where there should be something and i think what i keep coming up to which i think is like a large theme in the book um 
is like a part of this like colonial project that the British were doing um, where they assume that there is nothing in Australia, but there are people, there is a culture and society that has been there for thousands of years. Um, So I see that like intrusion of the, of the British onto the Australian land as like, as coming to a place where they think there is nothing, but there has been something for quite some time. Um, that that makes sense to me, and uh, I think there's a there's we should do a summary of the book in in a second because yeah, uh, yeah totally. but there's a there's a there's a British character who's there visiting his his uncles, and I know at one point he says like this is Australia. Anything could happen. Like, yeah. basically, like Australia is like a completely wild, lawless, ruleless place. Unlike England where he, where he comes from. Right. So there's where like, there are like very intense customs and culture of like how you, how you carry yourself in society. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, we should give a summary for people who haven't read it or haven't seen the movie. Uh, do you want to, or should I, or I actually wrote a little thing, a little summary to try oh. and get my thoughts in order this morning. Um, yeah. If you want me to it. jump into that. Yeah, if you don't mind. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So on St. Valentine's Day in 1900, the students or inmates of Appleyard College in Mount Macedon, Victoria, Australia, go on a picnic with two of their governesses to a local geological formation known as Hanging Rock. The school's headmistress, uh, the school's headmistress, Mrs. Appleyard, remains behind at the college with a student named Sarah Wayborn, who has failed to memorize poetry. Four of the girls, Edith, Irma, Marion, and Miranda, leave the picnic grounds to explore. They are seen by Mike Fitzhubert, the nephew of a conservative colonel, and Albert Crundle, the family's coachman, who are also pic- picnicking at the rock that day. Uh, the four girls explore the rock and suddenly become overtaken with drowsiness. When Edith awakens, she is alone, and the three girls have disappeared. The students, their governess, and driver search the rock but find no trace of the girls. They return to the college late that night, missing supper. Mrs. Appleyard alerts the police, who search the rock with a bloodhound and an aboriginal tracker, and they find nothing. Um, Mike convinces Albert to take him horseback riding to the rock and leave him alone there for the night. After Mike has not returned to the Fitzhubert house, Albert returns to the rock to look for him. Albert finds an unconscious Mike, as well as Irma, who has no recollection of what happened at the rock. Mike and Irma recuperate at the Fitzhubert residence, and a romance develops between them, but Mike ends up leaving Australia. Irma's father pulls her out of school. Uh, With the scandal of the college mystery as it is known in the local newspapers, Mrs. Appleyard is worried about the college's reputation and how to keep the college afloat financially, as she has learned that other students will not be returning to the school after the Easter holiday. Irma returns to Appleyard to say goodbye to her fellow students and favorite governess, Mademoiselle de Poitiers, where in the gymnasium, Irma and her fellow students have a vision of the hanging rock and the students... um, collectively cry out for an explanation from Irma and Edith. Um, Staff like the governess Dora Lumley begin to leave their positions at Appleyard College, um, so people are quitting. Um, Dora ends up meeting her brother, Reg, and they both die in a freak hotel fire. Uh, Sarah, who throughout the novel has been abused by Mrs. Appleyard, 
is reported to have been seen leaving the college with her guardian, Mr. Cosgrove. But later that day, her mangled body is discovered having fallen out of a dormitory window. Um, then Mrs. Appleyard goes to Hanging Rock for the first time, where she commits suicide by jumping off of the rock. Um, yeah. Yeah, that um, that sums it up. There are uh, some things in there that I probably missed, but I feel like those were like the main threads that that I followed as I've been like recollecting the book. Um, yeah. Going off of your, thank you for summarizing it. First of all, uh, yeah. I think that was mo more cogent than what I could have done. <laughs> um, I feel like uh, you listed the plot, but it doesn't really necessarily get across how kind of like um, weird the book can be. And also how funny I think it is. Yeah. Um, I thought the book was really funny. There's certainly, um, some sort of class humor, uh, in it. There, mm -hmm. like, um, there are characters of various classes or stations. There, like the um, a lot of upstairs, downstairs. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Kind and of there's a, there's a lot of humor from that. Um, the thing, well, what stood out to me when I was reading it was sort of I I thought that it was like a very like environmentally conscious novel. Mm -hmm. Um where and i'm trying to reconcile this or i think it it doesn't conflict with what you were mentioning about the colonization project but i think they work together and i'm trying to figure out how in my head uh but early on in the novel it mentions that the the young women at their picnic are like sitting there picnicking reading um drawing or whatever mm -hmm. and they're they're not it's it says that they're like not part of their landscape like they don't yeah. they don't belong they don't belong there um <clears throat> and there's also well i guess like throughout there's just these sort of um divisions between uh civilization and and i don't know what wildness or uh nature i don't know what the capital yeah. m maybe or something um did you notice any of that while reading it? Yeah, absolutely. I think so much of the book to me is about like the absurdity of trying to recreate English society in a landscape that is just like so not England. Yeah. Uh, that's a good it is so much about how like, yeah, the, 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 the girls are instructed to take off their gloves after they pass by this specific town because like these rules of decorum are more important than like how hot it must have been on this summer day. Um, and there's a line about how whoever must have designed 1900 fashion uh, wasn't considering like a romp through the wild of Australia because they, she was wearing three petticoats. Um, <laughs> there are all of these things about like, how ill-suited for their environment they are and how like yeah how absurd it is to try and recreate the english world in the australian landscape yeah just um a, get, kind of getting at how ill-suited these young women are for for where they live um this the second chapter um kind of begins with them like talking um, like they're 
on their way or they're at uh, Hanging Rock. And one of them says, how dreadfully quiet it is out here, observed Edith, helping herself lavishly to cream. How anyone can prefer to live in the country, I can't imagine. Unless, of course, they are dreadfully poor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's like by no fault of Edith's that she is just so unaware because she has been like shipped off to this boarding school that happens to be like in Mount Macedon, like a hundred miles north of, uh, north of Melbourne. Um, yeah, there's somewhere else in here where, um, it talks about, I'm no, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it. I don't even know if I, I marked it, but how like these young women are sort of cut off from nature or the environment that they're existing in through their corsets and their like dresses and stuff like that. And then, at the end, um, when uh, Miss Mrs. Applegate goes to Hanging Rock, mm-hmm. one of the first things that she does is like takes her shoes off, um, and uh, I'm trying to find it, but it's kind of saying like her feet haven't touched like nature in in decades or whatever this yeah. is the first the first time and i think she takes she might take more of her clothes off before jumping but the the teacher who disappears i'm forgetting mm-hmm. um i think miss mccraw i think she takes her clothes off before yeah she is it, it's a scandal because she is seen in like her undergarments before she disappears by edith sees yeah. her in her undergarments before she disappears and that's quite a scandal yeah, so like throughout clothes sort of become this thing that mm. keep keep people separated from the natural world or from their environments or something. They're sort of like markers of society or civilization mm. or something. <clears throat> so I, I am trying to say that this novel is uh, pro-nudist agitprop, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's... So much of it is about how they aren't considering the land itself that they're on. Um, Mm. They're not thinking about like, or they're not aware necessarily of like the dangers of the land and the, the, the things that are there. And it's, it's in that moment before they disappear that like a lizard curls up in one of their arms and beetles crawl across her ankle. There are these moments where like, it becomes strange when nature and the girls like meet. Um, But I think part of the like thinking about the, about colonialism in this novel is like, there were people at the hanging rock that used it for thousands of years that knew it well. And I don't, I, I love that the novel doesn't put a specific reason for why they disappeared. um, Because one of the reasons why they disappeared that could be in my mind is like, oh, because they didn't know how to keep themselves safe. And they yeah. succumbed to just one of the the dangers of that landscape. Um, and yeah, I think that just comes from, from a kind of like chauvinism of thinking like we can just live our, have our society here and continue our traditions without considering the land or the traditions of the people who've been on the land for so long. Yeah, there's a there's a line in the book along the line. It's something like uh, a knowledge of math isn't going to help you in the bush. 
something like yeah. basically like uh your your schooling um is not appropriate for the situation that you found yourself in kind of mm-hmm. um and it makes me think that the the ear an eerie aspect of it like something where there should be nothing like these this boarding school and these young women shouldn't be there right like their their presence is kind of like what's what's eerie or like what's off about the 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 story and the in the landscape and stuff um yeah and that it's in this like italian mansion that's just in the middle of of the australian uh, outback um yeah, that's another thing where it's like a foreign element that's like placed into this landscape just through like through the will of the people that are building the things. And Mrs. Appleyard wants to be using the college both to like make money for herself uh, and as a way of like reproducing that culture to like instill those norms um, like the through like the memorization of poetry and through like posture. Um, yeah, yeah. Because Sarah does memorize poetry. She just doesn't memorize the, the right poetry, right? Right. Like, she, well, she's making up her own poetry. And she's, yeah. she's chastised for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sarah's um, the character that that I, I, I kept thinking about because, like, her end is very tragic. And mm-hmm. she and Mrs. Appleyard are so tied together. Um, like, and they both stay back from the rock um mm-hmm. they both like meet their ends at similar times and in similar ways too yeah um and i think like the poem that she's supposed to be memorizing is the wreck of the hesperus which is like a poem about a shipwreck and <laughs> when the girls are first at the rock um they quote like the boy stood on the burning deck which is from another poem about a shipwreck um and mrs appleyard is described as being um there's a way that she's described when she's first introduced in the book as being like a galleon or being like a ship um in like her sturdiness as a woman um and i think like all of these shipwreck poems and this woman being a ship it's it's really like wonderful foreshadowing for the tragedy that will befall her Um, yeah and how much like ships are a part of the colonial project. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, well, obviously they had to sail to Australia in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just realized uh, a moment ago, I think I referred to her as um, Mrs. Applegate, which was incorrect. Uh, Christina <laughs> yeah. Applegate, uh, Mrs. Appleyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> no, it happens. Um. Oh, I had another thought that was probably more significant than correcting my uh and then bringing up it. Christina Applegate. <laughs> yeah. Um Oh. Um another thing that isn't there that should be there mm-hmm. or uh time or like kind of like human time, I guess. Uh kind it like doesn't exist at or it doesn't really function at uh Hanging Rock. Like when mm. when they when they arrive at Hanging Rock, everyone's watch breaks at at, uh, at noon. noon. I, yeah, I think it is. Um, and so, but like obviously, time in a way doesn't stop; it's still moving. But the way that these people uh, in, interact with time no no longer helps them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then when <clears throat> when Mike goes back to Hanging Rock to look for for the young women, he says something along the lines of like, it's only been a week, like so much has happened in the last mm-hmm. week. Um, and he's referring to sort of like events back uh, at the school, like in the news, all, all, all these like this worry about the the young women missing um all these things have been happening but at hanging rock there's no sign of any change like nothing nothing has changed in that week so like time hasn't really existed in the same or like progressed in the same Mm -hmm. way at hanging rock as as it did um for him back home or, or whatever um and so i see another thing that's eerie about it i guess is like at hanging rock time seems to not be there um yeah, but it all, presence it, on it yeah it's almost and, like un, they don't leave any marks on the rock um and that's like another way of their kind of absence uh, absence there um when they go to or when the when the police go to look for them there's there's no tracks there's no traces there's nothing that they have left behind yeah um and i also think that the time like the watches breaking is just sort of another divide between like the way their civilization functions and the way sort of the civilization of hanging rock or the lack of civilization of hanging rock functions like Mm -hmm. they they run on different clocks um because another like the the they go to this picnic at hanging rock hanging rock is like a three hour like coach ride Mm -hmm. away or whatever um they come back much later than they were expected to come back because these women went missing and so the people that remained at the school were kind of like where is everyone they were supposed to be back by four or i think that like there was a set time they were supposed to come back um and and again it's just like time doesn't like it doesn't do you any good it doesn't matter or whatever when <laughs> uh when you're interacting with a force that just doesn't res- like follow the same rules i guess mm-hmm. and like nature just like doesn't care about clocks or like when dinner is being served or or whatever it's sort of this like um yeah disrupting force or something uh, yeah that time that kind of time is like a petty human concern um in a way the like it always it, it strikes it, it it strikes me when they're like after their watches break they say like what about if, if we stay here for another hour and they they have no way of measuring that but by saying like in another hour they have that like reference point in their minds even though they have no way of actually measuring it um yeah yeah yeah, it just shows like what they know and what they expect um, doesn't apply uh, to Hanging Rock. Yeah, um, and they just go, they think they're just going for a nice afternoon, but they yeah. they end up getting involved in something much bigger than themselves and something much like something that they can't comprehend. And I think that's a part of it. There's just no answer. It like in, in the text of, of Picnic and Hanging Rock, um, even though there is a later edition that uh, attempts to tie up the loose ends. I don't know if you read The Secret of Hanging Rock. No, well, I read, I mean, I did, as any self-respecting intellectual, uh, (laughs) I read the Wikipedia page for Picnic at Hanging Mm -hmm. Rock, 
uh, where it mentions that she originally had an explanation and then the editors told her to cut it out. Um, and I'm sure that that exists somewhere now for people to read, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not even sure. I didn't look at what the explanation was. Yeah. I, I, the explanation, um, I think in the secret of hanging rock is that a like portal in space time opens up and the girls disappear into it, which like, that's is, cool. It's cool. It's very <laughs> abstract, but like, I don't need that that neat way oh, of resolving yeah. the mystery. Like, I think that I think it's a good move that it was published without that extra chapter. Um, I would rather have an ambiguity that I can like choose to mull over in different ways than than being like, oh, the girls were murdered or this happened. Um, yeah, because I think I part of what what I really love about the book is its tone. Um, and I think its tone is so much one of like gossip and one of like an urban legend. It's a, it's a cautionary tale. It's like, don't go into the bush without really knowing the bush. Um, look at what happened to these girls. They didn't respect, or they weren't aware of how one goes into the bush properly. So they disappeared. Yeah, I love thinking of it as an urban legend. It's definitely, like, I think you're right that, like, reading it, you don't feel like you need an answer, like, um, at all. So there's there's no reason to have one, even if it, like, is kind of, like, a rift in space-time sounds kind of funny to me. But, <laughs> but, but I don't think it would improve the book at all. Um, and it is... And I think you're right, explaining it would kind of uh, work against sort of the format, like the, mm -hmm. the style a little bit, because um, there isn't like a central character that we follow throughout. It kind of hops around a little bit and it ends with um, like police reports and newspaper articles mm -hmm. sort of explaining these events. So it it feels like the narrator doesn't know exactly what happened. You know, the narrator just has sort of the, the town gossip to go off of and like the, the newspaper articles. Um, and that both like that almost, that justifies not providing an answer. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it also does something else that I've forgotten uh, <laughs> since uh, I started the sentence. Um, it kind of, the novel blurs sort of fact and fiction. Like the mm -hmm. novel presents itself as having actually happened, kind of. Um, yeah, so, that note that's in the, um, the, the cast of characters page. Yeah, uh, that's what I was about to pull up. So at, yeah. the, at the beginning of the, of the book, there's a list of characters that explains who everyone is. Um, and then after the last character is listed, it says, and many others who do not appear in this book, um, which suggests that these events happened and some of the people involved in the events uh, go unmentioned in, in the novel. So the novel is like an incomplete retelling mm -hmm. of, 
of these events. That's also um, such an eerie thing. Like throughout this story that you've been reading, there are people that you don't know about whose actions impact or were were uh, observed by the people in the book, but that's all happening and you're not aware of it. Yeah, yeah. There's also um, this paragraph that says, whether Picnic at Hanging Rock is fact or fiction, my readers must decide for themselves. As the fateful picnic took place in the year 1900 and all the characters who appear in this book are long since dead, it hardly seems important. Um, and so it it is... The whole from that's like before the novel even really starts. It's sort of creating the sense of ambiguity and like not incomplete knowing, I guess, like like uh, it doesn't matter if it's real or not real. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's people that are involved that I'm not mentioning. Uh, It doesn't like they're not in the story. Um, So that's just to say an explanation at the end of all of that. So saying like, it doesn't matter if this is real or not. It doesn't matter if you completely understand it or not. Like I'm not giving you the whole story. And then to, and then to include like a pat explanation would sort of just undermine everything Mm -hmm. that was going on. Um, So I'm glad that she didn't include an ending. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think because there's such like, such an authorial voice or a, a, a specific voice of the narrator um, in this book. Do you think that the narrator is someone that you can pinpoint who is like mentioned in the text or is the narrator something else, someone else? I hadn't given that any thought. Um, and so I, Hmm. I don't think the narrator is mentioned in mm. in the text. Um, I think it's, it's like it doesn't. The narrator doesn't seem completely omniscient or whatever. Like there's there's limits to what the narrator knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine someone going through it and like making a case that the narrator is a particular character but i didn't pay close enough attention or think about that enough while reading it um and i think i think not knowing who the narrator is just like the narrator being this unknown person with an unknown connection and knowledge of the events Mm -hmm. uh is is more interesting to me i think than if someone were to be like um I don't know. Irma is the narrator or something like that. Uh, Do you have a, uh, do you know who the narrator is? I don't know who the narrator is. And I, I also agree that not knowing, um, not knowing specifically whether the narrator is someone that is mentioned in the text. I think it makes me think that the person who's telling the story the the voice of the narrator is someone who was in the area when the events happened and they were collecting newspapers and like they have all these clippings in a scrapbook it has this almost like conspiratorial feeling to it of like gathering this information and then it's someone that like you've sat down next to at a bar and they're like have you heard the one about the hanging rock (laughs) um and they just take you on the on this yarn um yeah and i love 
Oh, sorry, I, I just love that the the narrator has such opinions about characters in the book um, that the the way that people are described almost leads you to form opinions about them against your mm-hmm. better judgment. Like the narrator doesn't like Edith. They think oh, the yeah, narrator thinks Edith is just a, a reprehensible, annoying little brat. But Edith is a character who I felt bad for and like really cared for throughout the reading of it because she just has no control over the circumstances and is just like just trying to be herself um yeah um just an example of 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 that of the narrator sort of um disparaging edith um i read this section earlier how anyone can prefer to live in the country i can't imagine unless of course they are dreadfully poor and then um I'll just keep going. If everyone else in Australia felt like that, you wouldn't be making yourself fat on rich cream, Marion pointed out. Except for those people over there with the wagonette, we might be the only living creatures in the whole world, said Edith, airily dismissing the entire animal kingdom at one stroke. (laughs) It's like, look at how just blasé Edith is being. She's so unaware of all of the like splendor of nature around her. Yeah. <laughs> well, the narrator is maybe not being fair uh, to, to. No, the, the narrator is so not fair. And I think I think I just love that about about this style of storytelling that it's just like I have opinions and I'm going to tell you about Mrs. Appleyard, like drinking brandy before lunch and all of these instances of her little like not hypocrisy, but where where she has vices that she doesn't want people to see or know about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You said like someone at a bar spinning a yarn. I imagine like, um, like a, a grandmother uh, sitting in a rocking chair with a scrapbook of all these newspaper mm-hmm. clippings. And then like, I don't know, half a dozen grandchildren around her. And she's like telling them the story of, of hanging rock and what happened to these like naughty little girls who mm-hmm. took off their corsets and like uh, wandered in the woods. Yeah. It, it's such a fairy tale. It's got such a, such a warning quality to it. Yeah. Um, Which makes it a Gothic story. Like, it keep I keep seeing that it's being described as a gothic novel, but then there's humor in places that yeah that that make it feel lighter than that, and then there are moments of just like strangeness where where there's like a almost hallucinatory quality to some of the writing, specifically the moment in the gymnasium when the girls who are just like exercising inside are overtaken by a hallucination or a vision of the rock appearing before them. And they kind of go into this like trance state. Um, Meanwhile, Sarah is like strapped to some kind of device to like correct her posture because she was slouching. There's just, it's such a strange story. Yeah. In In the way that that writing just kind of naturally flows from the like sarcastic voice into the like voice that feels full of awe and full of like strangeness. Yeah. Strange, but also some of the writing I thought was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, maybe specifically around descriptions of nature and streams and birds and um, yeah, but it does sort of 
swing between all these different I mean, the style is consistent, but mm-hmm. there's times where it's funny. There's times where it's beautiful. There's times where it's just weird and kind of surreal. And then times where it's kind of like horrific or tragic. Yeah. Um, uh, but all the while, it's like, it's, it is consistent. It, it, it's not like, it doesn't feel like one thing and then this other thing. Right. It's uh, not jarring in those transitions. It kind of leads you into those different places very well. Yeah. I was when you I hadn't thought of this as a goth, gothic novel but it's like the the boarding school definitely has the mm-hmm. sort of gothic trope but also a lot of the sort of um bizarre happenings and tragedies happen like out in the open like um so mm-hmm. it which is not that's like anti-gothic or something right like the like I don't I mean I'm not an expert on gothic literature but my association is always these like big oppressive houses or something Mm. like that and like being trapped in them and then sort of like the decay of the house represents like the mental decay of the people living in it or or something like that um but a lot of things can't be repressed (laughs) like they just keep spilling out into the public yeah yeah uh could be that that's true like uh, Mrs. Appleyard would probably love for it to be a gothic novel where everything was contained with, within the house, but yeah. uh, it the house can't contain it. Um, it there's a bigger forces at play than mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Appleyard and her institution. Do <laughs> um, I? This is like not a good segue at all, Sorry. but. Uh, the the gossip tone of it the sort Mm -hmm. of like not following um a particular narrator or it's one particular narrator not following a particular character like from start to end like hopping around including police reports and including Mm -hmm. all these things it's sort of like the the community affected by the tragedy at hanging rock is telling the story of hanging rock which when i was reading it reminded me of um the Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. <laughs> um, because that is also like a unexplained tragedy that happens mm-hmm. to uh, young women of similar age to Hanging Rock. Mm-hmm. And if it's been a long time since I've read that book, but my memory is that it's sort of the voice of it is sort of the, the neighborhood, like mm-hmm. recounting their experience, the, the collective neighborhood experience of, of those murders um so there that there's not much of a question in that that's just an observation but i do have a question which is are there other novels or things or movies or whatever that you think kind of um are inspired by or draw inspiration from uh picnic at hanging rock oh that's a great question um i haven't thought about that really um I mean, I think the comparison that I made watching the movie um, is that it the way that things happen without an explanation feels a lot like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a like a, an elegance to it that David Lynch doesn't do. Yeah. And like I, I think especially mm-hmm. that scene of the the hallucination in the gymnasium, it's like a horse appearing in someone's bedroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I think 
I don't know enough about like Australian literature and yeah. I would like to know more about it. I think I came to the movie cause I had seen um, a, a movie called wake in fright, which is another kind of strange Australian film about a teacher who wakes up uh, or no, a teacher who has to stay behind at his school and winds up in this town where everyone has been in this town for a while and he gets kind of involved in some unsavory business and kind of is trapped. Um, and I think just that, like the bizarre Australian landscape reminded mm -hmm. me, Oh yeah. Picnic at hanging rock. Um, yeah. That's, a, that's have, you, have you seen walkabout? I haven't seen walkabout. Okay. I, now I, you just made me think of Lost, which oh. <laughs> I love, which has like a similar kind of of landscape has a power yeah. that you 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 don't know and you just must like submit yourself to. Yeah, I um I never watched I I watched I didn't really watch Lost, but I went back and tried or started watching it like a couple months ago because I read um a short little essay um about lost, uh, which I wrote about in, uh, most useful information, uh, for, uh, November, maybe I'm not sure, but it's in a book by Catherine Davis. Um, and she, she talks about lost. She got really into lost after it was on after like the excitement around it had, mm -hmm. uh, died down a little bit, but her, her husband had cancer and she thought the experience of watching lost was kind of similar to her husband having cancer in that like every episode you watched you you thought there would be a rational explanation coming like lost like makes you feel like there is about to be like things are just about to be explained like mm -hmm. pretty soon like you have some puzzle pieces and just one or two are missing and then it will all make sense but that rational explanation like never comes uh, it never arrives. And she said that was very similar to trying to like understand mm. cancer and her, her husband's illness. And that just made me aware of how like in, I mean, I've never been stranded on an Island. I've never been in the Australian outback. My husband has never had cancer, mm -hmm. but I think it's pretty common to just like not have rational explanations for things and yeah. uh reading that essay just sort of made me a little bit more aware of how common that is and how narrative often doesn't accommodate that experience like um people like stories to have endings or explanations or things to sort of resolve or something like that um but that's not always necessarily true to experience mm -hmm. um and so Lost, I think, is a good comparison to Picnic at Hanging Rock, but I I wouldn't have thought of that. And the other uh, the other thing that I think comes up is like Haruki Murakami is another author where things will just happen in his books, yeah. and he will he will just let them sit there for you to interpret. And I I think yeah, that is a lot like how life happens, <laughs> where things will just happen, and you won't be able to understand a character's motivations or a person's motivations, and you just have to either move on or like think about it some more. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I like this quote from uh, Joan Lindsay. Um, she says, "Well, it was written as a mystery, and it remains a mystery. 
If you can draw your own conclusions, that's fine, but I don't think it matters. I wrote that book as a sort of atmosphere of a place, and it was like dropping a stone into the water. I felt that story, if you call it a story, that thing that happened on St. Valentine's Day went on spreading out and out and out in circles. So that's like the the telling of an event as a stone mm. dropping into water. And then the story itself is the ripples that the stone falling into the water makes. Um, yeah. Rather than, than, oh, this character wants this thing, but is frustrated by these external circumstances. And we watch them overcome that or develop around that um yeah that i mean that's interesting and i feel like that accurately describes like picnic at hanging rock like the the young women go missing very early on in, in the book you know and so most of the book is sort of the ripple effects mm -hmm. of, of that event um on the people involved in it but also just sort of like the town the, the or the school and uh yeah it, blossoming outwards yeah, the people um, that work there, not just like the students, but like people quit their jobs at the school because the college has such like a bad reputation because women have disappeared from it, mm -hmm. um, which like going back to the, the theme of like class consciousness that the novel has. Yeah, um, that reminds me again, I mentioned it and then we hopped on, but uh, Walkabout is a, like, it's not it's a schoolgirl and her little brother um, and they get stuck in the Australian outback. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I think she starts out wearing like a little schoolgirl outfit or whatever. So it very similarly um, like, like civilization and wilderness collide in the Australian outback. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a, it's a good movie too, where like, I would like, Maybe not quite as uh, mysterious as mm. Hanging Rock, but uh, worth checking out. Um, cool. Is there anything uh, we haven't touched on that you uh, wanted to say? Did you have like a favorite character or a favorite moment or like one thing that you come back to in this book? Um, I don't think I had a favorite character. I... There was like, um, there's kind of like a long passage near the beginning that sort of describes the the landscape and the beetles in mm. it, and like, and I I really liked that. Um, so like, what I remember most is like instances of when I thought like just the the writing was was really good, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with um, the narrative. Or, I mean, maybe it has to do with themes or something, but mm -hmm. uh, more just like kind of like pretty nature writing. Uh, is... Yeah, there's some beautiful nature writing in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was wondering when I was reading this, because like the, the sort of environmental elements really stuck out to me. I was wondering if, um, I don't know, like, I feel like Silent Spring came out in the 60s in America. I didn't know if this, and like, before we started recording, I meant to look up when like, I don't know, Edward Abbey was like active or something. Mm -hmm. And if it was this, I just didn't know if there's sort of like um, an environmental writing moment in, in the 60s that maybe this book fit in with or not. But uh 
Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question because it seems like her motivations for writing this book seem very just mysterious. Yeah. So, like what she was tapping into or what kind of like what kind of stream she was joining by putting this story down is curious. Yeah. Um so yeah, I was thinking of this as sort of like a an environmental novel uh mm. in a way that I thought was uh that was fun for me. Um <laughs> it's like some this is so characteristically kind of annoying of me but it's like the mystery and sort of the yeah the mystery of this book and the sort of the weirdness like that's the obvious thing right like that's what this book is known for and so then I read it and I'm like well what else is interesting like I don't want to I don't want to think about uh (laughs) the mystery aspect I want to find something else yeah I know there I know there's a big mystery and the mystery is well done but can you give me something else yeah um so so for me the environmentalism kind of stuck out um and i don't know that it has like a perspective necessarily like i don't think it's like making an argument about human environmental relationships Mm. or anything like that but i do think it it it's sort of drawing distinctions and making comparisons and stuff in interesting ways yeah i feel like I, I couldn't say whether it's it would, whether it has a perspective environmentally, but it does feel like for me it has a perspective in like as a satire of of British norms and like mm-hmm. of cultural norms in the landscape, um, where it seems to be saying like look at how ridiculous these people are. Um, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, did anything? Um... Let's see. You asked me if there was like something that stuck out or that I kept going back to. And I just want to ask you the same thing. Yeah. I think as I've, as I've been thinking through it, I've been thinking about the character of Sarah and just like her, her story. Um, Because I think while I was reading it, I was like, is Sarah going to be Albert's sibling? Um, Hmm. Because they're both orphans and then that's never resolved. And I think that was my brain just wanting to make a connection and have to for her to have someone to be like relate to um because i think the character of sarah like she is she is such a little punching bag for mrs appleyard um and her death is very mysterious um and yeah it's just something that i keep trying to be like did she commit suicide did miss appleyard kill her like did she actually go away with someone in the morning and then something happened um there it feels like a kind of mystery within a mystery for me yeah yeah i i feel like when i was reading it i was like miss appleyard killed her because there's there's um one of the teachers whose name I'm of course not remembering starts kind of like asking questions. Like it doesn't make sense that Sarah left with her guardian. Like, right. And, and Miss Appleyard is sort of dismissive and just starts drinking more. Um, but I kind of, I think there's like a, now that I haven't read the book for a month or so, uh, <laughs> I, I like, I like might be the wrong word, but if Sarah jumped out the window herself, mm-hmm. there's sort of a symmetry to her end and Miss Appleyard's right. end. Whereas like 
the the school and that building sort of like made Sarah miserable. And so she hopped out of it um, and died. And then Hanging Rock sort of was the unraveling of everything Miss Appleyard held dear. Mm -hmm. um, like these women went missing there and then her livelihood just like disappeared, like her school fell apart. So then she goes to Hanging Rock, sort of like the the starting point of her woes and mm -hmm. jumps off. And so there's sort of a, uh, a symmetry there that having not read it for several weeks now, I'm not, I like my mind might be creating that more than the book actually does. No, I think that, but... that, that seems pretty, pretty true to what happens in the book. <laughs> um, where, like I was saying before, those characters are very, very tied together. Yeah. And it's almost like for Miss Appleyard, Sarah is this thing that like she can't control this like person whose means are not like up to her standards. So she's just not like welcome and represents like this kind of like self-loathing that Mrs. Appleyard has that the world can't be something that she has control over. Yeah. But she also, I could be remembering incorrectly, but doesn't Miss Appleyard sort of depend on Sarah because her, guardian is very wealthy and mm -hmm. provides like tuition or like a lot of money to the school and when it seems like that money is going to disappear uh that's kind of like the mm -hmm. end of, of of everything and so they're they're like miss appleyard like kind of can't control sarah and kind right. of resents sarah and hates sarah but also like really needs her right 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 well. And so when she completely loses control of Sarah or loses Sarah, that's like the end of her as mm -hmm. well. Um, and and Sarah's guardian is someone who's just like, because he has like mining interests in a different state um, yeah. is just unreachable. So he's not like able to have the kind of, the kind of conversation that Miss Appleyard would want to have with like a regularity. Yeah. Yeah. Like the school doesn't really work in that landscape mm -hmm. and S Sarah doesn't really work in that school. And mm -hmm. so it's just sort of like two instances of trying to, to force something unnatural. Right. Or whatever. Um, and it, it doesn't work out for like either person, mm -hmm. I guess. And so I guess if like the novel has some sort of, like if that says anything to me, it says like people, like those characters sort of need to, give up control a mm -hmm. little bit and learn to like um w like co coexist with thing like with competing interests i guess or like um with living creatures that uh have different needs or like experiences or understandings or something and to not do that is like fatal to both Sarah and Mrs. Appleyard. Yeah. It's like a matter of learning how to adapt to your environment. Yeah, exactly. That's more concise than the garbage I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, my goal with this was to talk for an hour uh, we've talked for an hour. Um, so unless there's anything else you want to mention, um, because I'm not trying to control this. I don't want, I don't want to be a Miss Appleyard. Um, but 
uh, the, I think one thing all of our um, devoted listeners are dying to know, M, is uh, what else are you reading lately? Yeah, recently I have been reading um, a book called The Listening House, which is a mystery from the 1930s. Um, similar kind of who knows what's happening, um, but I think this will probably have a, a much more uh, solid conclusion. Um, let me find the author because it's it's very fun. It's written with a, with a really nice tone. Uh, it's from the 30s, so there's like a lot of fun 30s dialogue and fun 30s <laughs> slang in it. Um, by Mabel Seeley. Um, okay. She's written a couple other mysteries that I would like to read. Um, and then before that, I recently finished a book called Prototype by Brian Hodge. Um, Brian Hodge is a horror writer um, from a like publisher called Dell Abyss that is like very Gen X, very 90s vibes horror. So there's like a lot of just like weird art in bars where it's a bunch of baby dolls and televisions. Um, and this book <laughs> is about like this young man who has this genetic mutation in his DNA that causes him to um be very violent and he's coming to grips with learning that he's violent because of this genetic mutation and what that means for him and it's kind of like if a slasher if the villain of a slasher learned that they were supposed to be the villain of a slasher and how emotionally they deal with it (laughs) um sounds cool yeah uh well thanks thanks for doing this thanks for having me. me uh it was it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, everyone goes out and reads uh, "Picnic at Hanging Rock" now. Um, I bet I bet Amazon's gonna sell out after this uh, <laughs> drops. But uh, yeah, thank thanks for doing this, M. Um, and uh, I'll try to do another one of these podcasts sometime, everyone. Cool. So look look out for that. Uh, bye. bye.